Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts It's a cult-like following. They dig it. Okay. Okay. Right. Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. You are at the spot, the place. Point it out for you. Right here. This is the place <laughs> where the conversation is pointed and the guests are sharp. There he is, Joseph Iorio. Hello. And the uh, conversation is never boring. We're going to talk about resilience. We're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about setting that cotton pick in mind, getting over drug and alcohol and grief and turning around and being the best possible person you can be after you come to the realization of this is what it is. And it's as good as it gets. You know, that's my favorite movie with Jack Nicholson. As good as it gets. Oh, I love that. Movie. Yeah, that was a good one. It was. And you're a good one, too. Brains, what else, Brains? He drives. He's a chauffeur. And he drives some very high-end clients. And I was asking him all the inappropriate things they do in the back of that limousine or that uh, town car. Because I've been in them. I know what goes on. So we're going to have a great time talking to him today. Thank you so much. Do you prefer to be called Joseph or Joe? Um, Joe is a fine Joe is fine. All right. Yes. You are fine as wine. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing wonderful. I I'm alive. I'm kicking. I'm blessed. I know. You ready for this uh this season, this time of year? I used to live in Minnesota. I live in Charleston now. I love it. Ooh. No more snow and no more 19 coats. I know. I hear that it's really nice there in the Carolinas. I've never been there to visit. Oh, you have to come out. Yeah, I'm just don't here. come in the summer. It's real hot. Is it real hot? <laughs> yes. So, tell my brains, how do you show up in the world? I show up as it's taken many years, but I just show up as myself, my true, authentic self. Mm. I'm uh, out there to help and share with people, whoever comes in my path. It's not a coincidence, there's a reason. And there's something I can teach them or they can teach me, but there's value in meeting another new person. I believe that too. And I am very inquisitive. Uh, I gauge people though. I can, I can tell their pulse and I can see if they're, you know, when you get on the airplane, that person sitting next to you is like, damn, this is going to be for four hours. Do I want to make friends with this person or do I want to go to sleep? (laughs) So you are wide awake. Tell us a little bit about your journey, your story, and your truth. A little bit? All right. I'll try my best to to make it a little bit. Um, Born and bred in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, boy. Um, The street value and the lessons I learned were worth it because they really helped me in life and growing in a big city like that. But it's still a suburb. And... um, kind of closed-minded for the most part. Uh, Everybody keeps to themselves in those little towns. And um, had a strict mother, 
the oldest of six, and I did a lot of chores, a lot, a lot of chores. And I was fast because when I got them done, then I can go out and gallivant and meet with my friends and do whatever I wanted. Okay, so moving right along, I was brought up Catholic. I went to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, and um, I had this little thing going on in my head. I wasn't sure what it was about, but um, I knew I wasn't, uh, I knew I, well, I was gay, but I didn't know if I was gay. And being brought up Catholic, they told you, you go to hell if you're gay. So I prayed and prayed to God, please make me straight, please. And eventually I gave that up and came to the realization that God didn't create me. No, he created me as a perfect human being. There's no other reason I'm here to learn those lessons about that and the struggles feeling like an outcast i have empathy for you know people that are mistreated it it gave me a sense of uh solidarity with them well did your mama know that she was gay joe now your mama knows well my mother was a uh, my mother was more for my mother um she was more into herself so to speak um i went to a gay bar the first time when i was 21 and I looked around the room and saw all these nice, ordinary looking, college collegiate looking. And I said to myself, Joe, you're gay. Because <laughs> the only uh, role model I had was the gay parade once a year. They would show all the drag queens. And my father would make comments about it. And I thought that was what gay meant. And, you know, you get dressed up and you act gay, you know, like a flaming queen, so to speak. <laughs> So okay. when I wait, let's, I let's, got, let's pump the brakes just for one second here. Sure. Because um, I asked this question and I'm pretty hip and slick. What is gay? Gay is just a term. It's a cigarette in England. I learned, I, I read about that somewhere. No, that's, it's, a, it's an ugly cigarette and, you know, they call them fag. So that, that's. Oh, fag. Yeah, that, that's, that's correct. Thank you for but, but what but what you. I want to what I want to understand is and I want people to understand. Let me dial back. When I ask people that are, are uptight, I said, so when you run across gay man or lesbian woman, what do you think about? You know, the first thing they think about is how you get down. It's how you have an orgasm. That they don't look at your skin color, they don't look at the content of your heart. They don't hear your conversation. All they want to know is how you wet your willy. And ain't nobody's damn business. So brains, let me check you on that right there. However a person chooses to get down, that's their business. And let me tell you, there's some strange get downs on heterosexuals, uh, more so than probably in the gay community. There's a lot of people that are in the closet that are hiding their shame. Okay, so then I dial back and I say, so what is gay? Uh, scientists here in San Diego, I've been in classes where they say that people can be born with two X's and a Y or two Y's and an X. This is where the transgender population comes from. So they're not just springing up like dandelion's brains. This is scientifically proven and the struggle. Okay, but then 
you can be transgender and be gay or lesbian. So I'm wondering, is it a lifestyle? Is it a feeling? Is it a longing? Is it a sexual desire? Is it uh, trendy? You know, some people say, hey, you know, let me, let me do this because I'm not happy with that. What is it when someone says, as a man, a gay man, and these feelings that you had very early on, what did you feel? How did you know that you were gay? When I was at the age of nine, I noticed that I was a guy, I had a particular attraction to men, especially in the summer when they took their shirt off. There was some kind of attraction. I, I couldn't figure out what it was about, but it was strong. It was intense. And it stayed with me. And when I, when somebody says they're gay, it means they're, if they're a female, they're attracted to a same gender and the same with males. When I say I'm gay, it means I'm attracted to another man. And there's a strong feeling when you meet somebody and it's the same in the heterosexual community. When like attracts like, uh, there's an instant attraction. It's the same thing being a gay man. It's just that same sex. All right, so so it's the sexual attraction. That's part of it, yes. Okay, but it's also, and I would say this as a woman, and I'm not a lesbian. Um, I've never been with a woman. I'm a heterosexual, but I can understand the compassion the two women could feel, the tenderness, um, the longing, the yearning, the sexual desire. Women are beautiful. You know, I'm men, I mean, look at David. <laughs> I got a blue magnet of a David from Italy on my refrigerator. It's beautiful. These are uh, these are gifts that God gave us to connect. And there's no way that I believe, me personally, that we're going to get to heaven and there's no gay people. I know when I went to the Vatican, I couldn't believe what was going on there. It shaved up. It, I mean, there was serious get downs and some serious parties going on. Okay, and they shaved off. Most of the the uh, penises, and they just put a patch of cement there because the priests found it offensive that they were showing the genitalia of a man. But they did not cut off the breasts of the women because that is a food source. It's nurturing. It's very confusing that here we are in 2023. And people are still tripped up off that. And these young kids are committing suicide. And what's even more amazing is they don't want to be gay. They don't want to be straight. They're non-binary. They don't even want to commit to any of this. Mm -hmm. What do you say to young people when you, when you see them struggling with their identity? And you know what you went through as a young man? Well, you need to find role models. And there's certainly a lot of them now. And there's gay centers uh, around that weren't around. Uh, I came out in 1976, mm. the bicentennial year. Mm -hmm. And um, you asked me um, if my mother knew. Um, after I went to that gay bar, uh, the next day I announced it to my whole family that I know I'm gay. And I have three sisters that were born after me and they all said, no, we knew. We know you're not, you haven't dated a woman in 
like a couple of years. So we knew something was up. And my mother was nonchalant about it. So she has a gay hairstylist and whatever else. She knew gay people. But for young people, um, they don't know the struggles. I mean, but still, they're ostracized by certain groups, especially in high school. It's it's tough. Um, I did my best to act as straight as I could growing up in Brooklyn. I didn't know a thing about sports. You know what I did to try to fit in? I didn't know anything about sports. I started reading the sports section in the newspaper every single day. And I read about baseball, football, all the sports and all the statistics. And then I didn't feel ostracized. You know, I fit right in with all the guys. Yeah, the guys. Okay, but check this out. Did you date girls? Did you try to date girls? I tried it. Did you have a girlfriend? Uh, yes. Uh, I took one girl to see the movie Woodstock when it was in movie theaters. And... Um, She's moving my hand all around her breast, and I was getting very uncomfortable. So soon thereafter, I came up with an excuse to break up with her. And I did another girl, same thing. Whenever it got too close to sex, so I know I could do kissing and all that, but uh, I'm 100% gay. I've never slept with a woman. Mm. So, Well, honey, I, newsflash, you done missed a treat. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but you know, it's maybe my next lifetime. <laughs> and you know what? That that is really not the crust of who you are. It's it's your soul, it's your sensibility. But you struggled with that. You struggled with that and other things because it led you to drugs and alcohol. Tell us about that. Well, I didn't drink as a teenager. Um, my father was my stepfather was an alcoholic mm. and he had a cabinet full of every kind of liquor you could think of. So I did a little experimenting when they weren't home <laughs> and I just absolutely hated it. I uh, absolutely hated the taste and any, everything about it. I, my drinking started after I went to, I started going to the gay bars. I would only have two drinks the most all night. I would nurse them. So I wasn't, I wasn't, at that point, I still wasn't keen. I met my, um, my partner in um, 1978, and he introduced me to scotch, which I could still tell you, I still can remember the feeling I had when I drank it and it went down and I could feel it oozing through my whole body. Mm. I had a lot of problems with my mom growing up she's um very materialistic and um i made peace with my stepdad before he passed away he he, he passed away at 52 mostly because of his drinking i would say um in any case um they had a big three-story house that my dad owned and um, he told me you know i always considered you as my own you know, with the other five kids, you're the same. And the house here and everything, you get, you should get a share of it. Well, in my late 20s, I found out through my sister, she slipped and said that the house had been sold. I said, the house had been sold. I didn't mean nothing about it. She said, oh, two years ago. And they all divvied up whatever came out and never mentioned me. 
my mom said to her, well, he's not really one of us, is how the, how it was uh, presented to me. Well, that sent me into, you know, for all I did and growing up in the whole, in the family and all that stuff, it just sent me for a loop. I started drinking and drinking and the holidays would come and I would drink more. And so it got out of hand. <clears throat> so my partner, he went to treatment first and we both ended up going to Minnesota. We moved from New York to Minnesota because it was the first gay and lesbian treatment center in the United States. They had opened in, um, I believe, 1998. In any case, um, he went and I said, hey, I blamed all my drinking on him. Because of you, I'm drinking. I'm drinking with you and all that. And a year later, I was in the same situation and I needed help badly. So I packed up my stuff and, and I moved to Minnesota. So that was a 1990, that was 1993. I moved there. I went to a 30 day treatment center. I went to a halfway house for 60 days. Stayed sober a year, drank. Stayed sober a year, drank. Stayed sober two years. I finally had my last drink on June 6, 2005. And I had surrendered completely. And God lifted that curse off of me, the addiction, because I never had to go to I never had to go to another meeting. You can drink uh, however you want in front of me. I can go to bars now. It doesn't affect me and I don't want to have a drink. So I'm blessed that way. And that set me off into my transformation. So you didn't do because, drugs. You just did alcohol. Oh, I experimented with drugs, but. You know, just dabble a little here, a little there, just try it. But, and I smoked some pot. You know. Joseph, you said that you struggled um, with addiction and you got yourself clean. And um, you went to a treatment center with your partner, the first gay and lesbian treatment center in the United States. You said you didn't do much with drugs but alcohol was your drug of choice. What was your trigger? What was what would send you from a flicker to a flame? What was it that, you know, would you regress and think about how disloyal this stepfather was or how you felt betrayed by your mother and your sisters? What was it? Was it, you know, the fact that you, you know, maybe had some unresolved issues about being gay? And I'm not making a judgment, Brains. Let me be real clear, because I don't want no emails. I don't want no drama. I'm asking a question, okay? I find that a large portion of my friends that are gay struggle with that. I don't know if it is because of what society deems they should be, the gender role that was placed on them, their own insecurity. Maybe they feel that they shouldn't be this way. Maybe they're being ostracized. I don't know, but they struggle with it. And a lot of them are in therapy and in counseling. I know a lot of straight people that are in counseling too. But I noticed that, you know, the that the gay and lesbian community is very sensitive. Uh and they're on the fence a lot. Now am I wrong in assuming this? No, not at all. But that's not me. Okay. And once I said I was gay and I made my peace and I accepted God as my, and Jesus Christ as my savior, knowing um, 
God loves everybody. Right. Okay. So all that damnation and all that hell stuff is a lot of baloney as far as I'm concerned. And that but, confessional is scary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, funny you mention that. I always had a lot of questions in Catholic school. And one of them was, if God is everywhere, why do I have to go tell a priest my sins? Why can't I just tell him directly? Mm. And I do that every day now. I pray. I pray every day, right directly to God. That's right. I do too. So I don't need to go to a confessional, none of, none of that stuff. But the big trigger for me wasn't about, once I said uh, I owned it, I'm gay. And I didn't go announcing it and said, you know, here I am, I'm gay. If it came up, I was proud to tell people, yes, I'm gay, if you ask me. My trigger was I'm, a, I'm a very sensitive to a family to want to belong and to be loved and to have, you know, your siblings and, and holidays. That was my trigger. Every time I thought about it and my mother, backstory to when I was born. When I was six months old, my mother put me in an orphanage. Mm. She had me when she was 17 and my real father, my biological father left her because he couldn't handle her too controlling that's what i found out later on in at any 16? case she was controlling yeah. at 16 wow yeah well god knows i don't know in any case uh, my grandmother her mother used to come and visit me on weekends and she said oh i used to cry uh, unbelievable cry every time she left and um when i was two they moved you to the the next range of children in an orphanage and my grandmother decided to adopt me and took me home and she had me till i was four and then my mother remarried and decided she wants me back so she went and they had a court case and i had to go and um i used to have dreams i was told they were dreams i remember screaming and crying uh, uncontrollably and um you know when I found this story out about? When I went to treatment for drugs and alcohol, I had to write truth letters to all my family mm. and friends about why I really went to Minnesota. Because everybody said, we're in New York. What the heck are you going to Minnesota for? Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I need to start, you know, and I want to uh, acquire a lifestyle and la, 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 whatever I could think of. Because I was very good at hiding my alcoholism. Nobody knew I had a problem. Mm. So I wrote my grandmother and I said to her, I know you know the real story of what went on when I was young, because I, I have all these memories and I, and I can't address them because I don't know what the story is. So she told my sister and my sister told me about the orphanage and all that stuff. Wow. I was 40, 40 when I found that out, when I was in treatment. So... The process for me, when I after I got sober, was I got depressed and I got high anxiety after I was stopped drinking. They tell you, oh, life's going to be wonderful. Well, it wasn't. Right. And the reason for that is everything that you were drinking about and trying to forget without the alcohol is right there in your mind. Your problems with your mother and your family issues and all that. So that has to get taken care of. Or you're going to start drinking again. So two years of psychoanalysis for me. 
And everything that came up was about my mother. And that was the stuff I had to resolve. And I've forgiven her. I've forgiven myself or whatever. And I let it pass. She's who we, who she is. She did the best she can. That's how I look at it. And I move on. And um, that was the first part. Then I decided I think I want to go to college now. Because I, I opted out of college. I went to a very private high school. And it was very expensive. I got accepted to all the colleges I applied to. But I decided I didn't want to go to any more school. I wanted to get into the real world. And I went to New York City and I started working there and diversity was brought into my life, different cultures. That was a much better education than going to school and learning geometry. So um, I was on my way. I took uh, behavioral science. I got a degree in that. I figured out a lot of how I fit in the world through those courses, through psychology. And I started implementing it in my life and helping other people with it. And um, moved, I moved along and I, I was born to be a social worker because that's most of the work I've done my whole life. Work with people with disabilities, work with seniors, work with other alcoholics. I'm a helper. If I hear somebody ask a question in the supermarket and I know the answer, I'll go tell them. I'll say, excuse me. I heard la 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 la. Well, here's your answer. I tried this. You can try it if you like. You know, well, it's it's very um, loving that you open yourself up as a vehicle and a vessel for people to trust and to talk to. The world is so combative right now. You know, they just everybody's arguing, they're lying, they're cheating, they're stealing, and I don't know of what I have learned. Uh, well, I was re, uh, reintroduced to this in my meditation a few weeks ago. Lord told me to surrender. I looked around and I was like, what am I holding on to? And the more I processed it, the more I kept hearing the word from other people. Just surrender. Just give it up. Just give it up. And when I turned 60, I woke up that morning, Joe, and I was unapologetic. I said, well, look at this. It's all about how you process things because there are going to be challenges. But again, those are the building blocks and the foundation for the statuesque person that you are today. And if you had not went through that, you would not have a testimony. So I commend you for your bravery, but also for your open-heartedness to pour into other individuals because you could just say, look, I'm healed. I don't have to deal with this person, that person. I can go on about my business and drive this limo and be happy. But during all of that, you fell in love. You found a partner that you were with for a very long time. And that's another thing, Brains, I want uh, you to, to think about is that you've built a life with this person. For God's sake, you got a dog. <laughs> you got a house, you cook dinner, you've traveled, you share your money. And back in the day, you weren't even allowed to give the, the last rites or the last hug or the last kiss and they're dying. You were not able to take ownership of the property that you built together. 
you were not able to collect on an insurance policy. You were not able to go to family dinners. You weren't accepted. And that's not right because you choose to love somebody that is the same sex as you. So think about that just for a minute. If you were denied all of these things, now see, I can, you know, I can clap back on that because I'm a black woman. Now my civil rights was handed to me, but I had to drink from a different water fountain, had to go to a different bathroom, had to ride on the back of the bus. Are you kidding me? I'm not that girl. Okay. They would have had me tarred and feathered. Well, let me throw this in. Um, I didn't even realize I made a movie about it um, where interracial marriage was illegal up until 1968. Absolutely. Okay. But I so, was trampled as a child. I was trampled in the Watts riots. Okay. And I'm still, you know, I still don't dig crowds that much, but I have no control over the color of my skin. I really don't. And in all honesty, I wouldn't want to be anything other than what I am, even with adversity. So I understand what it, what you mean by being different, by being a gay man. You're happy. But it's the outside influence. It's that echo chamber of noise, of idiots that are trying to strip you of your basic rights and decency. You have a choice. God did not make any mistakes. Very clear, very specific, down to your eyelashes, eyebrows, every pimple on your face. He knows exactly who you are. But here we are in this meat suit, you know, humans, uh, and we are going to slice and dice, take back a woman's right to choose her own body, what, what she does with that. Um, alienate people, don't give them the medical treatment that they need because someone else feels that it's not right. Well, you know what? It's going to be judgment for all of us. It's going to be judgment. And me and Joe are going to be sitting there with this little pointer <laughs> taking off boxes. So we got to try to get it right. Okay, so let's fast forward. You lose your partner. That sends you for a tailspin. Well, we were living in Minnesota. Um, 2019, we decided to move south for a warmer climate for our retirement. And so that was four years, four years ago now. Um, but anyway, last, it's just a year now. Um, he he was a veteran. So he uh, he had the, the health care of the VA. Um, he got pneumonia. Um, and then he collapsed in, in the house here. And so we had an ambulance take him and they said, well, it's pneumonia. And I'm like, I don't know how you could get pneumonia. It was August the 1st mm. in the summertime. They said, well, it's in the air. You can just pick it up because he used to mow the grass out around the house. In any case, then they found um, something was growing in his back and uh, it turned out it was cancer. And from August 1st till October 17th, that's how long he, he lived after the, that diagnosis. It was a shock. But with the mindset, of course, I grieved, but I didn't I didn't go into the why me, Lord, and what are you doing this to me? And well, how could you know, I did it as God, 
has decided I have a different journey to, to a different path in my life to take now. Our 44 years we were together. Wow. So our path, you know, he he's done. When you're done and God says it's time, you know, you go. And so I'm still here and I have to live and do what the, the next part of my journey is. And I didn't know what it was. And I just started praying and knowing that I'm on a new journey now and whatever comes into my life is a gift to set me on this path. And I'm happy. I'm very, I've always, no matter what, always maintain a happy and positive disposition. When I see somebody glum, uh, I'll try to go out of my way to make them smile because that's not right. You shouldn't have to go through life like that. And through that, I get the positive energy, believe in the law of attraction. Um, but you have to take action. You can't just sit there and wish for something and think it's going to fall out of the sky. Yeah. If you want something, you take action toward it and you'll get it. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. Let's have some fun questions. Let's get excited. Okay. <laughs> if you were an animal, mm -hmm. what would you be, Joe, and why? Ooh. Probably a dog. A dog? Why? Because they're so forgiving and they're always happy. Just the way I am. And you know, dog is God spelled backwards. That's right. That's been mentioned to me and I always forget it. <laughs> I always forget it. I lost my, I had two schnauzers and I lost one three weeks before Dan passed away. Three weeks before. So grieving a dog is... It, it is really, really hard. I don't know why, but it's harder than a human being in a different way. It is. The coyotes jumped over the fence, kidnapped mine, and ate him. Oh, my God. And I, to this day, oh. had an animal communicator on my show, and she shared with me that he told her, thank you for adopting him. I had him for 13 years. I was the best mommy ever, and that it was a quick kill. And then he's doing just fine. So, you know, every everything has an expiration date if you're organic. And I get mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. If you were an appliance in the kitchen, what appliance would you be? Refrigerator. Why? Because you get all that stuff. <laughs> you get every, and you're always looked at. The door is always open and closing, open. You're not left standing alone. That is sweet. That is and sweet. it's cool. And, and it's cool. Absolutely. And if someone makes you mad, you can freeze them out. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I think I'd be the spice grinder. Really? Yeah. I would like to kick it up a notch. I'd like to mix it up, grind it up, sprinkle it on top, give it a little flavor. Oh, yes. I'd be the spice grinder. Okay. Yeah, that's... If you had a magical wish, what would it be? Um, that I could start traveling. I want to travel to Europe with a new partner. Okay. I wait till I get over there because, honey, it is something happening over there. Okay. Where do mm -hmm. you go? Barcelona first. Oh, yes. Yeah. Spain and then uh, Italy. Yeah. I'm Italian heritage. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely wonderful. So, if you could time travel, 
what era would you travel to? What time? Um, I think the beginning of the 19th century, because I like the clothes. Mm. The men really dressed up. Yeah. You know, I don't want the the wigs and all that, but I like I like the way they had those really nice coats and because I see them in um what are, what's the name of that lady that writes all those books? Jane Austen. All her movies, the guys are always like dressed to the night. Impeccable. Absolutely. What would you tell a 20-year-old Joseph? What would you say to yourself at 20? Just hang on. Everything's going to be okay. Just find one person you trust that you can talk to because your communication is vital. Um, when you have all those thoughts up in your head, um, they're, wor they're a thousand times worse than you could ever imagine when you say them out loud. All of a sudden, poof, they're gone. And what would you say to a person that's struggling with alcohol addiction that's hard because in the end i could talk from here until the sun goes down but until you actually decide you want to do something you're the only one that can do that um and you have to surrender i remember the line when i went to my first AA meeting before i gave up the alcohol and i just want to see what it's about and they said well once you surrender, you can never have another drink for the rest of your life. So I, um, I um, said, how could I stop drinking alcohol? Everything I do it revolves around a drink, going to bars, going to dancing, you know, friend's house. So that held me back a couple of years from getting sober, just that line. But the 20-year-old needs needs to find somebody they can trust and talk to it's the same as being going to a therapist you need to talk to someone and what would you tell a person that's going to be working with you as far as the mindset mastery and how to flip that switch well it's not flicking the switch there's work involved it just doesn't happen there's no miracle cure if you're 100 percent ready to start changing your life and you know what the problem is I'll give you the solution and we'll we'll set up some goals and we'll get there to the end. No, I'll be with you. Some things, a lot of things uh, start with stress. Stress is uh, is another way of drinking. Uh, in, a, in effect, it, it covers up what the real problem is. So if you're having a financial problem or uh employment problem or relationship problem usually you get a lot of stress and you're not really sure where it's coming from but it's usually one of those three things so after you stress is not that hard to control because you need stress in your life because it'll get you all enthusiastic and stuff for certain things but too much stress causes bodily harm so once stress is under control then you can start looking at um you're having a problem with your relationship, um, a financial issue, and we can get you on the road to um, a happier future. Because there's always a solution to any problem. Any problem, there's a solution. 
Well, I believe that too. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have to appreciate the bad as well as the good because you would know the difference. Exactly. You did not exactly. know one from the other. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have a testimony. And like I said, Joseph, you've got one testimony. And I'm so glad that you shared it with us here on the edge. Please tell my brains how to get in contact with you. If they want to deep dive, I mean, I just love your vibe. It's just real soft and easy. Um, you know, it's not a whole bunch of kerfuffle. It's not a whole bunch of contention. I feel like we're having a conversation. We're talking with each other. You're not talking to me. And it seems like you're very empathetic and that you're a good listener. And that's what people need right now. They just want to be heard. A lot of times they just want to be heard. So how can they get in contact with you? Oh, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate that. Um, and all they have to do is go to Facebook. Um, it's Joseph James. And the last name is Iorio, which is spelled I-O-R-I-O. -I and I'm on Facebook and I post content about mindset every single day. There's always a, a lot of value in there for people to take action. I mean, they could always um, contact me. I, I have all my links on the Facebook page. Brains, reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place if you can. Thank you so much, Joseph. I need you to go in and love, like, share, and subscribe. Right here, Brains, here's the address. Put it in your face. Go in, love, like, share, and subscribe. Leave a comment. Ask Joseph some questions. He says he's an open book. You know, he's going to be down to give you what information he can. If you're struggling with, you know, your humanity, your sexuality, your emotional, mental, or maybe you need a ride from the airport to the hotel. <laughs> all this fine gentleman right here. Thank you so much, baby. I wish you all the best and may God always continue to shine a bright light wherever you are. Same to you. Keep shining your light. All right. Be good, brains. I love you. Mm -hmm.